0: Welcome to The Guardian Podcast with Rin Melberg. My name is Harold Nickel. In the past on this program, we have talked about the need for better security in an online world. We've also talked about corporate governance failures at several companies and organizations around the world. This week, we're going to discuss how corporate boards of directors manage corporate IT crises. Just like with traditional crisis management, there is no doubt that a major IT incident will occur. It's just a matter of when it will occur. And like with a normal crisis, the time to get ready is in advance of the problem. But is corporate America doing enough to be prepared? And when I wondered about that, I knew who to ask. It's Ren Melberg. So Ren, does the potential for cyber breaches mean that business needs a new type of governance model or can they just tweak the ones they've already got?
1: What we've seen based on um, behaviors and outcomes is they absolutely need a new governance model. And I'll mm-hmm. explain. Um, organizations have been treating cyber breaches in the same fashion as any other business continuity issue. hmm so, for instance, if the power goes out in your call center, how do you rewrite, reroute? Excuse me, those calls. Right. That's a pretty typical um, business continuity issue. And what we've seen in using that kind of cut and paste approach hmm. to cybersecurity is it's actually made the breaches harder to detect, the um, impact of the breach worse. Uh-huh. and their ability to stop it um, pretty slow. And we have numerous incidences at, like, Target, Ashley Madison, and uh-huh. others where they had excuse me, really significant breaches uh-huh. that they didn't know were happening for days and weeks and months.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And then when it happened, they didn't know how to shut the door, if you will.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and of course uh I guess generally speaking the governance for this and all types of potential crisis starts at the at the board level. Are are most boards as well prepared to manage a cyber threat or actual cyber crisis?
1: The answer is no. I haven't seen um any consistent changes in the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um in understanding that a cyber breach or crisis is um, very different than a typical business continuity issue Mm -hmm. or event. Um, And that it's something you have to be looking at all the time. You never have a day off, if you will, from protecting your company from a cyber breach. Where what we look at, so let's... Suppose that against the model that were uh, used for business continuity issues and events is most companies average one uh, disaster recovery event a year. Mm-hmm. They um, see how well they did. They make changes to their business continuity and da- disaster recovery plans. Mm-hmm. And then they don't think about it again until the next time they do an event.
0: Boy, that doesn't sound like a very good model.
1: It works for traditional events, mm-hmm. and that's why we do it, right? Mm-hmm. So if a server, this is a real one from, that happened to me, okay. a servers burn and then they crash, by the way. I know we say crash and burn, but they burn first and then they crash.
2: Okay, okay. <laughs>
1: um, not not always, but typically. Yeah, we get the um, order
0: sorted out there,
2: burning. Right,
1: crash. and so in the middle of the nightly, daily. Daily backup, our data backup. We um, the server caught on fire <laughs> and it crashed. Oh, this man. is a bad thing, and yeah. it, it, But it's it's a business continuity event that you plan for and you do these disaster recovery tests to make sure that you can respond to. And we were able to resolve it in less than 24 hours, and there was a no detrimental impact to the customers at all. Mm-hmm. And it was a fairly nominal detrimental impact to the company. So the data um, that was impacted uh, was a very busy trading day, somewhere over $100 million. I don't remember the exact number. Mm-hmm. But the total impact to the company was around um, seven. million. Mm -hmm. And a half million. Um, So it's really not that big of a multi billion dollar company that literally does, was doing uh, around a trillion dollars in transactions a year. We used to call this that seven million, we're like, oh, that's so good, that's a rounding error. (laughs) In financial services, that is we've often you know that that little amount of money is often referred to as a brownie or a a uh, pocket change.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because everything is in billions and trillions these days. But um but the, but it tells you the scale of what happened versus what the impact was and the fact that we were able to resolve it within hours. Yeah. So that tells you that for those kind of things, the governance model that we have in place around disaster recovery and business continuity works. So if you do it, and this is the other thing, how few companies actually do that on a regular basis? Uh, most mid-market companies don't mm-hmm. do any disaster recovery or business continuity, so you have that, too. Mm-hmm. Um one of the companies we talked about, and I'm not going to pick up on, pick on them, but one of the things that came out later after their data breach was that they were doing no business continuity or disaster recovery.
0: Oh, that's a bad plan.
1: So they had a lot of governance issues yeah. more than just what allowed for a data breach. So then we think about what happens with a uh, cyber breach. And those can happen at any time. And the difference between those, a big difference between a cyber breach and a business continuity issue or event mm-hmm. is the business continuity issue or event, which is why I gave you the description I did, the mm-hmm. example I did, is because they announce themselves. Mm-hmm. They tell you they're happening.
2: Yeah.
1: The server caught on fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it crashed. You know, it is an example. Another one I worked on, the building, um, the main power line was hit, struck by lightning, and the power went out. You're not going to miss these things. That's right. Right? Where cyber breaches, they're working really hard to make sure you don't know they're there and it's happening. Okay. So that's why this traditional government's model doesn't work. It isn't working and i you know you know kind of want to like shake people especially people on boards stop this you know you're hurting yourself you're hurting your customers and your clients you you have to have to stop this and it's all different types of customers or businesses mm-hmm. even law firms are having these kind of issues. Um, small firms have reported um, cyber breaches where their client files were stolen and then the information in those constitutionally protected files were then used against their clients.
0: Oh man. So, so
1: it, th- this is a huge issue that every single board, public and private, um, for-profit and not-for-profit should have a committee that's seriously looking at this all the time.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to ask you next. What what do boards do, you know, to better do a better job of exercising oversight on technology risks and right. their secure data?
1: So we talked about this a little bit in terms of the audit committee because governance is the the responsibility of the audit committee. Mm-hmm. The whole board is responsible for governance, but we carve away special accountability to the people in the audit committee right right another option for organizations that know for instance those who have been targeted by anonymous who haven't had breaches yet you really should have a crisis committee you should have a committee that's just looking at um how are you going to save off a breach if it happens because it's like, more likely that it will happen than not. Mm. How are we going to make sure that you can get early detection? It's like we say in cybersecurity, um, early detection saves dollars. Yeah. Pick up on a cancer line, right? Early detection saves lives. Well, early detection saves dollars and jobs. Oh, again. yeah. Yeah, um, I
0: just connected those dots. Thank you.
1: <laughs> and then... um after early detection, how are you gonna shut it down? Okay. And if you're using the traditional business continuity model, you're not looking for the breaches,
2: Okay? Right? Because right. you're
1: waiting for the server to catch on fire. Oh, okay. Or you're waiting for the lightning strike, or you're waiting for the flood.
2: Okay. You're
1: not looking for a breach. You should be looking every single day for a oh, breach. Right. So what are your chances of early detection? Well, we already know. All you have to do is watch the news, right? And Mm -hmm. we know even with the US government, it didn't happen. Didn't happen, there was no early detection. So then what happened when they found it, eventually, and they had to shut it down, it took a long time. Mm -hmm. It's taking a long time. And we mean this literally, like months. Financial services companies, retailers, health insurance companies, it's taking them months to shut down the breach. So mm-hmm. that means that whole time the people who aren't supposed to be there, so you think of it as a shoplifter that you can't find <laughs> in your store,
2: yeah? who's
1: who's somehow managing to get all the stuff that they're stealing out the door while you're running around scrambling trying to find them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the old model, it's like, oh, we smell smoke, it must be the server's about to crash. So the current model is that, you know, the board of directors as a whole or the audit committee or even a risk committee, they have general oversight of IT challenges. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that there needs to be another step. Is that
2: right?
1: Correct. Um, And so, we need to have this governance at the highest level that sets the expectations and the standards for the com- company.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. remember, the board is there to protect sh- stakeholder value. Breaches destroy that, not oh, just yeah. financially, but organizations have had their reputation tarnished. Um, retailers have had customers do not want to go back there and use their credit card again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's really bad. And so, it, first, the, gov- the board needs to come together and set these very um, significant standards. And because of the nature of the attacks, we charge IT with the oversight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But are they really the only ones who yeah. should be responsible and accountable? The answer is no not at all. Um, one of the worst cyber breaches I've ever seen uh, was actually done by an employee on the business side.
0: Well, let's drill a little deeper then and okay. talk some, some specifics about chief information officers. Do you think that the average chief information officer or CIO, do they know enough about Governance issues to be good board members
1: Potentially Um, it's not inherent in their role Necessarily Um, And you know, so But there's a lot of benefit to having someone who um, Really are one of the people that are responsible for letting the breaches happen Okay. Meaning that it's their stuff. It's you know their IT equipment. It's their network. It's you know etc. It's their IPs. It's their stuff that is usually used to breach the environment. Okay. Right. So right. they're the ones, as we like, as you've heard me say many times before. Those that are cr- closest to the problem are closest to the solution. Okay. So that's why I can make a case. For a CIO being on the board, okay, because they really are the ones who have to, who are closest to the problem. And when this stuff happens, they're the ones who get blamed, which is always kind of interesting. Because without the right governance model, how is IT supposed to prevent these things? They can't, not by mm-hmm. themselves. Because it's it's not like IT exists in a vacuum. No. Right? The whole rest of the business is there, too. That's right. And so everybody needs to participate in a governance model that prevents cyber breaches. But IET is most often charged with fixing it.
0: Right. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were going to say something else?
1: Uh, So, I was just going to say, that's why we say, you know, that's on, you know, using that sort of uh, principle Mm -hmm. of those that are closest to the problem are closest solution. And yeah. it would be really beneficial to include CIOs, maybe, I don't know if it makes sense, it depends on the board, if they're a board member, but at least be an advisor, and a minimum be an advisor to the board or advisor to the committee that's overseeing this type of governance.
0: Okay, that's, that's well said. And um, Radiolingo, I stepped on you, so sorry about that. But um, let's see if they're <laughs> Might be another seat at the board table for the chief technology security officer. Is that something that uh, boards of directors ought to think about?
1: It's an interesting idea. I don't. I don't think. And and this is one of the things that um, we're seeing a lot right now. And we're seeing a bifurcation of IT. Mm-hmm. And the truth is more people responsible for the same thing actually makes the problem worse, not better. Oh. So having a CIO and a chief you know technology security officer, and you know there's so many other uh, other um, options <laughs> that companies are creating, actually makes it worse. So when we think of um, most people's favorite example, Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, when a certain crisis happens in the United States, you know, NSA may show up, the FBI, you know, Homeland Security, all these different people who, all these agencies do have an incredible amount of overlap. Oh, yeah. And you get this al- alphabet soup, and it takes a long time to sort out jurisdiction and responsibility, who's in charge of blah blah blah, and then eventually get an answer. And by that time, something else has already happened, and the American public is paying attention to that now.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Right. That's right.
1: That doesn't solve anything. it, it never has. So keeping um, accountability clear and transparent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is essential to good and excellent governance. Muddying the waters by bifurcating roles and having overlap of roles actually diminishes governance.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that you know that that makes sense, um, and it does sound like uh, not a value-added role based on your description.
1: No, I I would take it. I would take it a different way. Okay. Which we talked about, so we'll talk about it now. Okay. Hope I'm not messing with your plan, but
2: no, no, um, it's okay. It's it's your show.
1: Okay. (laughs) Having uh, a specific role, like one of the things I've been advocating for, and now working with an organization on, is having a scrum team. For them, because of their size, one Scrum team. Other organizations may want to consider multiple Scrum teams. Mm-hmm. But all that Scrum team does is they assume they come in every day that there's a breach and we've got to find it. Yeah. And shut it down. And they ask themselves questions and they put together governance and tools to help them monitor so they can see what's different in our environment, what's different in our systems, on our network, et cetera, in the cloud. Mm-hmm today than yesterday. Okay. We're going to constantly be looking for that and constantly monitoring that. We're also going to be looking at our environment and we're going to find open fax machines and we're going to find network linked copiers that can be accessed from the outside. And we're going to find these basics. And believe me, I just saw it again. Open fax machines are network connected. Mm. Those are one of the easiest (laughs) ways to a company. They still Mm. exist. Open network... Uh, printers are another one. Those mm-hmm. are actually becoming more common, and it's really not substantively different than the fax machine. It, you get in the same way. Yeah. Um, so this this group of people, this scrum team, that's their job is to constantly be vigilant and monitoring for breaches and. When they find them, they haven't yet, but they found a lot of opportunities for breaches. Um, mm-hmm. They shut those opportunities down, and they've already have, we already know, as soon as the breach is found, who's responsible, who's gonna shut it down. Yeah, it's an existing not like team. what's going on now with companies where they have to form a team, and they have to do all this stuff to respond to this breach. The team already exists, it's already there. Mm -hmm. And when you think about what it costs to have seven to nine people, day in and day out, just focused on protecting your company from cyber attacks and breaches and improving the cybersecurity of your company, that is really low cost. For most organizations, that's really, really low cost.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good investment, uh, the way you described it. And you were mentioning you know, the ability to penetrate organizations through these backdoors, the old, the fax machine, the copier. Um, but I'm kind of picturing that kind of a day-to-day situation with with boards, boards of directors. Right. How does a board member monitor and govern these kinds of, you know, uh, everyday types of break-ins?
1: It's not so much that they can monitor on that level because they can't. Right. I mean, I get, I'm sorry, just like, I, you were asking the question, and I flashed an image of a board that I'm on, and I was walking through the buildings and all the different rooms uh, of the company, of the organization, and looking for fax machines. Oh, and yeah. open printers and and other ways that people could breach the system, right? And it's hilarious, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and just not at all feasible, but what the board does do is set the governance standards for the entire organization. Mm-hmm. And part of that is in, in a, you know, and when this stuff first started happening, there were just a few people like me who said, every single one of you companies should pay attention. Mm-hmm. If you have databases, you have servers and you have networks, you are vulnerable to a breach. I think now, finally, <laughs> like you said, reading this article about law firms are talking about this now, mm-hmm. because literally every single organization, if you have databases, servers, and or a network, you are vulnerable. Yes. The board should be setting standards, governance standards that says we have to have a mechanism in which we can be diligent at a a reasonable cost because optimal security, having perfect security, will put your company out of business. It's Mm. really expensive. It's very draining. Right? So you have to balance the risk-reward here and figure out – and the board should be working with the senior executives to figure out what that is, what is Mm -hmm. the right investment – to invest in um, a scrum team is what I've been recommending or something like that that is responsible for continuously um, monitoring the organization's cybersecurity and improving it and looking for breaches, and they are the people responsible for um, resolving a breach as soon as it happens. Um, And like I said, for most organizations, that could be fairly low cost.
0: Yeah, you were talking earlier about millions and billions, so this sounds like, a, like an excellent value. Mm-hmm. You know, seven, seven or eight people who are on a scrum team, and to make sure I understand, their, their role is to come in every day and look for vulnerabilities. Is that what I'm hearing? Right.
1: And yeah. a lot of the ways that we look for that is, what's different today? What's changed? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the ways that um, we found it in a company I was working for, uh, I was an inside breach, which is still where most of them come from, by the way. Mm. Um, We saw a huge uptick in network activity at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh
2: -uh. That's odd.
1: Um, That's something you better be looking at. Yeah. (laughs) Because the company's not doing anything at two o'clock in the morning. We're doing data backups, if anything. There's nothing else going on. Um, So why is this huge network activity? So we traced it back, and we found out that um, an employee had breached the network. Mm. So and we got it closed, you know, down pretty quickly. You know, hours. So you know, yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's those kind of things that you want these people paying attention to, um, because most of these breaches are not going to happen. By the way, right now they're not happening during your regular business <clears throat> hours. They are happening after hours. Okay. Because they know they're less likely to be detected when no one's in the office.
2: Or sleeping, yeah, like at 2 a.m. And it's, I guess it's sort of like if I were in my home and I just noticed that a window was open.
0: Same, right. same kind of thing, right? Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk, let's talk then right a little bit
0: about the biggest, biggest sets um, what um, are some threats the lands
2: that businesses see these for?
1: We keep seeing this over and over again. It's internal breaches. Mm-hmm. And it's backdoor breaches, so you know, if people want to hear, it, they can we have a whole podcast just on Ashley Madison and That's talking right. about how those attacks happened through backdoors. They were uh, in in their case, they were really paying attention to web security and the security of individual account holders and memberships, but not paying attention to their corporate systems, right. And that's how people got in. That's what we call a backdoor attack, by oh. the way. And there are uh, a couple of retailer uh, breaches that happened that way as well. Mm-hmm. And um, the law firm I mentioned to you—that was backdoor. They they came in through well, the law firm they came in through a fax machine. Um, you know, Ashley Madison—they they entered the network through corporate. A portal, a corporate system, right. um, you know, and, and so we keep saying that, and, and that's where this vig- vigilance is um, not happening. We're still thinking of security in these very traditional ways. Well, if my if I lock my doors and windows, I'm fine.
2: Mm-hmm. But if you didn't?
1: But, you know, when it's cybersecurity, if you locked your doors and your windows and you don't have a password on your Wi-Fi who cares about the doors and windows oh that's right <laughs> they mean they're meaningless they don't they don't prevent anything they don't prevent someone from getting onto your your network and cruising around through your personal information and your financial data
0: yeah yeah that's much worse than leaving the door unlocked um,
1: yeah because usually that kind of a cyber breach is actually going to cost you more than if someone came in to your house or to your office and cleaned out all your electronics. That's right. The other thing is, guess what? If somebody robs your house, you're covered if you have insurance. hmm If it's a cyber attack, not so much.
0: Oh, dear. That's terrible.
1: And it's the same thing with companies. Most insurance policies will not cover, you know, corporate insurance companies will not cover cyber breaches. So usually, they would have a special writer for that. They will, they will cover you if you know somebody comes in and steals all the computers and printers off the desk.
0: Then they replace them,
1: but not if somebody comes in through your, you know, um, networked printer and steals a whole bunch of customer information.
0: Boy, that's that's b- bad news all the way around, and. I'm sitting here thinking, is my Wi-Fi here password protected? And the answer is yeah. So that's good. <laughs> but my fear, you know, as long as we're talking about this, is that, and this, this won't sound politically correct or even very polite, but here it is. I worry that the age of a lot of these board members is going to mean that they're just not tech savvy enough to know that there's even the potential for a crisis never mind plan for it and right I just wonder if if I'm wrong about that or I'm guilty of ageism or is there
1: something to this right so here's the competing science so the people who are most active on um, the internet for non-work reasons are people over 65 okay Um, they are extremely active, but it's about half of them. Okay. 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 So the internet is hilarious to me because it's teenagers and senior citizens. Those are the people who are most active on things like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and et et cetera,
0: et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Right? So it's been I am that way for a while. So I am guilty really? of ageism. That's bad. News.
1: <laughs> but, but there's the other half of the um senior citizens who are almost never on the internet. Okay. And I don't remember the exact stats, but it was somewhere somewhere in the twenties. Um five years ago, about twenty percent of senior citizens didn't own a computer.
0: But the other eighty did, so
1: Yeah. That's so you know, there's some, there's a reason why we have some of this ageism, um, because there's such an extreme in this population. So you can't have a general, you know, you can't have a, a generalization. But what of those extremes? What's the one that scares people? It's the senior citizens who are not on the internet, who are not tech savvy. Mm-hmm. So that's where we go because we're human beings. Sure, we respond to what scares us not what makes us happy we're kind of weird that way but it's worked for us yeah you know yeah it's worked really really well for us it's allowed us to survive in environments when we shouldn't have been able to so it's a good thing yeah
0: good for evolution
2: yeah absolutely
1: very very important when it comes to boards you're right the average board member i think from the national association of corporate directors is still reporting it, it being around 57, 58, 59 years old, mm-hmm. um, where the average age of people in the work world is in the mid-30s. Okay. There's a big disparity there. Uh, there are some industries, financial services, healthcare, retail, the corporate average uh, board member age is in the 60s and 70s. Oh, boy. The other thing they found in these different surveys is is that 20% of the general population of people over 65 who don't own computers, it's a higher number for board members.
0: Oh, dear. Okay. Let's
1: pause. Think about that. Um, That number's been coming down steadily over the years because of smartphones, actually. Okay. Smartphones are getting senior citizens on the Internet um, more than computers did. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, But we still have this issue, and there still is um, a weird dichotomy in most companies where there's an us-versus-them relationship between business and IT. Okay. And who has the direct intimate relationship with the board? The business.
0: That's right.
1: Right? To the point of your other questions, should the CIO or should some cybersecurity person be on the board? Uh And the answer is absolutely because we have to stop this false dichotomy. Your business is IT. Uh This is a knowledge um, industry. Everybody is now. We have a knowledge economy. Uh We are not manufacturing things. Even the people who are manufacturing things are knowledge companies. I think of Ford and how much Ford has invested in information and technology because the car has to know stuff. That's
0: right.
1: They are a technology company. Mm-hmm. Literally, information technology. Um, uh, another one is um, Kroger's, <clears throat> and um, the and I think of Target, mm-hmm. uh, especially. They are information companies. They have incredible amount of detail about consumer behaviors and shopping behaviors and how you can move a product more depending on where it is on the shelf. And it, product placement technology is just stunning in mm-hmm. its detail and its ability to predict human behavior. They're an information technology. Yeah, company. well, none of us are divorced from that, but that isn't being reflected in our board. Whether we're talking about their age or not, I think the important part is that that understanding of the inf- the, bi- the intimate relationship between information technology and the business mm-hmm. is not reflected consistently on boards.
2: Okay, I think maybe and that's the are
1: Sorry, they're hiring people mm-hmm. who are healthcare experts. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. You should, if you're a healthcare company, you should have healthcare experts. Where's the information technology experts?
0: That's a good question.
1: Because they should be on your board too. Just like we've talked about before, how few boards look for governance experts, but they really do because you should have someone on your board who really knows what governance is and what it looks like and how to have good governance and how to move from good governance to excellent governance and how to use governance as a differentiator for your company and actually make you more competitive. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's, a, that's another thing that isn't fully reflected, but does have an impact on us. Because if you're a governance expert on your board, they're going to be saying to you every meeting, hey, guys, we have to have some focused work on cybersecurity.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, you mentioned a couple of them a moment ago, but of, of those or maybe some other, is there a good role model that, that we can point to and, and follow on this topic?
1: Oh, we've been trying, and the answer is unfortunately no. Oh. Um, because there's there's a lot of um, ways, rooms for room for improvement on boards. Because the other thing isn't just the um the the hard turn to staffing boards with business people, mm-hmm. which is a long tradition, but also the lack of diversity. Boards don't represent not only the face of the company or the organization, if you will, they don't necessarily are reflect the customer that, that that organization serves. Right. So in the United States, it's probably, unfortunately, um, worse than most Western nations. It is worse than other Western nations. Mm-hmm. As far as the representation of women on boards, it's still hovering around 20%. Women are 52% of the population in America. Yes, and 20% um, on boards. And to get to that 20%, by the way, you have to add in nonprofits.
2: Wow. So they
1: have to sink in for a minute. Yeah. Women are much better represented on nonprofit boards. And the studies by, you know, different organizations of the city have seen that the skills are identical. And that women who have been brought from nonprofit boards to for-profit boards have performed equally, or in some cases, better than their male counterparts. But the men, when they think, "Oh, we've got a you know opening on our board," let's talk to our friend Jim. You know, they don't go outside their sphere traditionally, right. and so it, it's interesting because it isn't like this. Um, Deliberate. we don't want, you know, no girls allowed thing.
2: Right.
1: It really isn't. It's the recruiting practices of boards. They don't think of hiring board members in the way that they would hire any other executive. That's right. So when you have a board opening, you want to go out and, and get the right fit for your organization, and you're going to have a recruitment effort to do that. But very few, and this frustrates the whole industry, very few organizations do that. Most of the time when they have an opening, they talk to each other and I'll talk to the CEO and they're like, who do you know who might be good? Yeah. And so they bring in a friend. And that is actually how we get, you know, this um, male centricity.
2: Yeah, they
0: they invite their friends and they all happen to be males and um, you're exactly right.
2: That's exactly right.
1: And, it, and it, it's it's, and then they get offended when they're called sexist because it wasn't deliberate. Like I said, it wasn't like they said, no girls allowed. Right. They just didn't open up the selection process. And like I said, treat the selection process of a new board member in exactly the same fashion you would treat the selection process of a new executive or C-suite team member.
0: That's... Well said, and, you know, like you say, nobody, or I can't say nobody, but I wouldn't imagine most would say, you know, no girls allowed, but the practice that you describe is going to just mean that there's not going to be many women invited to join.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Well, I'm going to bet that this is a a subject that we're going to come back to in the future. And before we go... There's something I want to mention to listeners. It's that Wren was quoted at length on the topic of governance in the wake of the Ashley Madison hack in the October 13, 2015 issue of the Canadian Financial Post magazine, and um, that was pretty cool. Were you were you happy with the way you were quoted, Wren?
1: Very much so, yeah. It was a really interesting article. So if you're interested in cybersecurity breaches, I would recommend taking a look at the article um, for that reason as well.
0: Yeah, it is um, it is well done, and like I say, Wren is quoted at some length, and if you want to see the whole thing, you can do so on Wren's website, which is www.wrenmelberg.com. And thank you for listening, and be sure to come back next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast
2: with Wren Melberg.